far from all the comforts of the familiar we live. Uprooted, evicted, expelled, and excluded, we wake and we work and we wander in a foreign land. Exiled, longing for the sights and sounds and tastes of our true home. But we are not the first ones to wander in the wilderness. We are not the first ones to long for a home we cannot see. For there are stories of faithful men and women who wandered too, but never wandered alone, who can show us how to live a life in exile. Well, hello, church. My name's Ethan, and I am so glad that you are here. I can't believe uh, Betsy mentioned all those awesome things that are happening, and she didn't mention that I'm building catapults on Wednesday nights. Like, what's up with that? That's the coolest thing going on in our church. Forget some coffee thing for ladies. We're building catapults on Wednesday nights. Uh, yeah, first through fifth graders, and anybody who, like, if you spontaneously think, maybe I need to be an elementary school volunteer, you could be right, and you could get to build catapults. It's not too late. We'll get you caught up. Show up Wednesday. Build some catapults with us. Also, students, sign up for TCTC right away. Um, and I don't think we've told everybody yet, our own Adam Prophet is actually over all of TCTC this year. TCTC is our big annual convention, statewide convention for our students. Uh, and Adam's running the whole show this year. It's going to be awesome. So sign up for that um, right away. It's going to be good stuff. Um, well, let's see, you heard that somber little video intro, right? That's pretty intense. Um, and we're talking about a hard period in history. We call it the exile. And if you're not familiar with that term, this is a term we use to describe a period in the history of God's people around 2,600 years ago. So around 600 years before Jesus. Uh, it started with a small kidnapping of only uh, several hundred people, and then a slightly larger kidnapping, and then a whole-scale conquering and destruction of God's people that led to thousands of people being deported from Judah, the, the, the region around Jerusalem, to uh, Babylon. Uh, thousands of people deported. For 70 years, uh, they lived in a foreign land under foreign rule that was hostile to their faith and hostile to their way of life. And yet, through all this, God's people remained faithful. And so these are people we want to learn from. Uh, because like them, we live in a time where our lives of faith are, is in tension with our culture. This is our reality. Uh, we observed last week that a life patterned after Jesus and God's word is going to consistently call us to walk in a different direction from those around us. And we just said, you know, this shouldn't surprise us, right? If we're trying to follow Jesus and we're trying to live in submission to God's word, we should like never be surprised when we see other people walking in a different direction. Uh, don't get confused by that. Uh, that's that's going to be normal. Um, and there's a temptation when we, when, when we see that our lives of faith are in tension with the, the values and habits of our world, there's a temptation to sort of retreat 
from the world and retreat from culture and kind of no longer try to be a blessing to the world. You know, sort of like the electrician who gets called because he hears that, that there's a house that needs some work and he shows up and he knocks on the door and he says, what seems to be the problem? And the homeowner says, oh, I'm so glad you're here. None of the lights are working. And the electrician says, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I don't work in dark houses. Yeah, sorry, I don't, I don't do that. I don't work in, di- in houses where the lights don't work. He's like, what? That's, what kind of electrician doesn't, that's what you're here to do is to fix the lights. And that same sort of crazy impulse sometimes comes to us where we're like, okay, my culture has gone dark and so I need to retreat from it, you know. Instead, what we see is the call of scripture is to, for us to just, be faithful out there in the world. And certainly this is what God's people during the time of the exile did. Uh, Jeremiah, the great prophet early in the exile, wrote a letter to them. And he said, listen, this is going to last a while. So settle down, build a house, plant a garden, have some babies, and bless the place you're in. Bless the very place that kidnapped you. Bless the very place that is trying to drive you away from God. Bless the very place that is challenging your values and your belief and your hope and trying to send you in a different direction. And that's exactly what the great figures of the exile did. And so we want to learn from them. Uh, Last week we learned from Daniel. Uh, Daniel was under pressure from his culture. Uh, At first he was under pressure because he was powerless. And he had no power to resist the demands of his culture. But later in his life, we find again that Daniel is under pressure, this time because he's powerful. And he fears that if he stands against the culture, he will lose the wealth and power and status that he has accumulated. Isn't that interesting? That the difficulty to stand faithful in our culture comes to us when we're powerless and when we're powerful, all the same. But Daniel did this thing where he just kept choosing to keep himself pure, to be faithful. We saw in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, we saw this, just this simple verse. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the king's food. That's a metaphor for you, right? Daniel just said, I will not defile myself with what you're serving. I brought my own lunch. Thank you very much. We we said this. We said, Daniel practiced purity even when it is risky. That's lesson one for how to survive a life in exile is to practice purity even when it's risky. That's what Daniel did. This week we're going to learn from another guy. Daniel practiced purity even when it's risky. We're going to learn today from Ezekiel. Ezekiel practiced hope even in graveyards. Now this fellow, Ezekiel, was an interesting guy. Uh, He was an out-of-work priest. Now not out of work by choice. He hadn't retired. Uh, What had happened was he had relocated. We'll call it that. You could call it kidnapping. But anyways, he'd he'd been relocated from Jerusalem to Babylon. And there was no temple to God in Babylon. And so suddenly this priest found himself out of a job. In fact, word had come that the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. Now that's an out-of-work priest. 
And so God comes to Ezekiel and says, Ezekiel, I'm going to give you a new job. Uh, your new job is you're going to be a prophet. And you can go read the book of Ezekiel in the Bible. Ezekiel is filled with these wild visions, and I, they really are some of the coolest stuff. I'd love to read it all with you, but we don't have time for all of it. But in between the wild visions, God would every once in a while just kind of talk plainly and explain to Ezekiel what was going on. In chapter 2, uh, we hear Ezekiel's sort of job description. He says, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to I am sending you are an obstinate and stubborn people. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or they fail to listen, for they are a rebellious people, they'll at least know that a prophet has been among them. He says, listen, I mean, you're going to do your best. You're going to preach what I tell you to preach, but they probably won't listen to you. They're stubborn people. And then he breaks the bad news. That's not even the bad news. The bad news is what Ezekiel is going to have to preach. Again and again, Ezekiel preaches to the people that they are under judgment for their sins against God. One of his first sermons he's supposed to do is he's supposed to go lie on his right side outside all day and night for as many days as years that God's people sinned against God. That's his first job description, just to go lie on the ground. And people say, Ezekiel, what are you doing lying on the ground? He's like, I have to lie here a day for every day you all sinned. I mean, for every year you all sinned. Like, that's his first sermon. It's like a three-month-long sermon lying out there on the ground. Over and over again, Ezekiel is called to remind people that they are being punished and the exile is going to last and it's going to hurt. One of his worst visions, just one of the most painful, heartbreaking visions he has is in Ezekiel chapter 10. We read it and we get super confused by it because it's got details in it and images in it that are sort of confusing to us. But I promise they would not have been focused on the confusing details and images. They would have been focused on the tragic story it tells. Ezekiel chapter 10 The first thing that happens is the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and moved to the threshold of the temple. Again, this doesn't mean anything to any of us. It horrified them. See, they understood that in the center of the temple, there was the ark, which was surrounded on each corner by a carving of an angel, and that God's glory dwelled in the center of the temple there above the four cherubim. And the first thing that Ezekiel sees in this vision is God's glory gets up out of the throne in the center of the temple where God's glory was meant to dwell. And God's glory walks to the edge of the door. That's what that means, to the threshold of the temple. God's glory goes and stands in the door. The cloud filled the temple. The court was full of the radiance of the glory of the Lord. The sound of the wings of the cherubim could be heard as far away as the outer court, like the voice of the God Almighty when he speaks. And then if you were to read in chapter 10, you'd read 10 verses where Ezekiel describes uh, the vision of a, of a sort of an angel-powered wagon where each cherubim in each, in each corner of this wagon is given a wheel that can move in all directions, up, down, left, right, north, south, east, west. 
And once the angel chariot-powered wagon is built, we'll pick it back up in verse 16. The cherubim move, the wheels beside them move. When the cherubim spread their wings to rise from the ground, the wheels stayed right there with them. Up, down, front, back. When the cherubim stood still, they also stood still. When the cherubim rose, they rose with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in them. We got this angel-powered chariot. And then in verse 18, the most horrible thing happens. Then the glory of the Lord left the building. He walks, steps across the threshold of the temple, leaves the temple of God and stops above the chariot, climbs up into this angel-powered wagon Ezekiel has envisioned. And while I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and off they went. And the wheels went with them and the whole wagon moved. They stopped at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. It's so weird, like today... You could go read Ezekiel 10, and I promise you, if you were to go read Ezekiel 10, your, your main emotional reaction would be, huh? What did I just read? Their emotional reaction would have just been tears beyond control. For hundreds of years, they had gone to the temple to worship in the temple because the Spirit of God dwelled in the temple, the symbol of God's sovereignty, the symbol of God's reign, the symbol of their hope. And now he's gone. He's off riding somewhere in an angel-powered wagon. It's, it's one of the most terrible prophecies in all of Scripture. It gets worse. If you keep reading, the oracle continues into chapter 11. just gets worse. He says, uh, Jerusalem, you are an iron pot. And my people, you're the meat inside the pot. Almost literally, he says, your goose is cooked. But then... Just when you think the oracle is going to wrap up, God's off riding on the angel-powered wagon, their goose is cooked, the oracle takes a turn. Therefore, tell them this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will gather you back from the nations. I'll bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered, I will give you back the land of Israel again. You see, they, they misunderstood why God needed an angel-powered wagon. They thought God needed an angel-powered wagon so he could leave them. He says, no. I need an angel-powered wagon so I can go get you. And go rescue you and go find you. He says, they will return to me. And they'll remove its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. I mean, as for those who are committed who are devoted to their vile images and detestable idols, well, 
they will receive on their own heads exactly what they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. Ezekiel, in chapter 10, takes the turn that every true prophet of God eventually takes. And so we should not be surprised. If you have spent any time reading God's prophets, you will already know this, that every true prophet of God, though they may begin with a word of judgment, they always end with a word of hope. When our God reigns, he never lets judgment have the last word. The last word with our God is always hope. We said we could summarize the witness of Daniel to practice purity even when it's risky. You could summarize the witness of Ezekiel in this way. We can find hope even in graveyards. See, here's what I know about your lives. I know that in life, hope can be hard to come by sometimes. I know that. You know, I'm not blind to that. We face death, we lose hope. We're lonely, we lose hope. We watch Tennessee throw away sizable first quarter lead. Alabama has the ball. They've got plenty of time left on the clock. They're well within field goal range. Don't tell me you didn't lose hope. Don't tell me you didn't lose. You know you lost hope, right? That reminds me, by the way, I did receive a phone call from one of our elders instructing me that I needed to wear orange today. So just just so you all know, I serve in submission to the elders. I do. So I don't know, Michael Hans, if you're here, as you instructed, I'm wearing orange, so here we are. All right, okay. Okay, I told him I would. Almost forgot. Glad I didn't. Okay, just a second, just a second. All right. I don't wear ties very often, but for UT, we'll do it. All right, okay. All right, that'll have to do. That'll have to do. But no, seriously, we lose hope in moments more serious than the last quarter of a UT football game, don't we? You know, I mean, our marriages get hard. And sometimes we lose hope. We look at our culture. You know, you read the latest thing in the news. Can you really? That happened? And we lose hope. We fall back into sin and we lose hope. We give in to temptation and we lose hope. We see our loved ones suffer or we see them walk away from God and we lose hope. We watch something on the news about the political situation or about the school system, and we lose hope. We let our worldview be shaped by what Facebook decides to show us, and now we know that Facebook is intentionally showing you things that make you angry and make you despair and intentionally doesn't show you things that encourage you. It's the way the the program is designed. And you let this shape your view of the world, and you lose hope. And it seems likely to me that after a couple of decades of visions like this, where the man's job is to lie on the ground one day for every year his people sinned, that Ezekiel might have been tempted to lose hope. Certainly that was the message of his culture. The Babylonians said to God's people, oh, come on. Just give in and fit in. Stop trying to put your hope in your God who has clearly abandoned you. Quit acting like one day you'll return to live in the land the Lord promised. Even God's people 
would mock Ezekiel's hope, saying, Ezekiel, there is no hope for the God whose spirit has left the temple. He's off on his angel-powered wagon somewhere. But Ezekiel knew. Ezekiel knew that even though God's spirit was not hovering, waiting in the temple like they'd hoped, God's spirit was on that wagon for a purpose. And God would not abandon God's people. That's how you know a true prophet of God. They always know the last word is hope. It's one of my favorite things about reading the prophets. They know God will not abandon God's people. They know that our Heavenly Father will not forsake his children. So yeah, they lived in exile. They lived in tension with their society. And it was a dark society with values and habits that directly contradicted God and encouraged God's people to abandon their hope. But they did not give up their obedience to God's commands. And they did not give up their hope. And I want to tell you that today, God does not want you to give up on hope either. In fact, I believe that God has a word from the Lord for you today. I I actually believe God doesn't want me to give up on hope. I showed up here today because I want a word from the Lord for me declaring hope over my life. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to find a Bible real quickly, okay? Maybe if you got a phone with you, you can pull out your phone. If you got a paper Bible with you, pull out a paper Bible. If you look in the, about every third chair, if you look underneath the chair in front of you, there are paper Bibles underneath the, underneath the chairs. Uh, if you're on your phone, you can Google Ezekiel 37. If you don't know how to spell that, it's that right there. You just pull up your browser on your phone and you type those words in. I guarantee you the first or second link is going to be like a Bible gateway link or something like that. You're going to click on it and it'll be Ezekiel chapter 37. Okay? Because I want you to hear this word. I want you to know the promise of God over the hopeless places in your life. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. I saw a great many bones on the floor of that valley. Bones that were very dry. Just want you to picture that for a minute. Walking through the valley, stepping carefully so you don't break something. Just picture that for a minute. And then I want you to picture your world and your life and your heart and your family. And you just start getting honest about where the bones are. Where are the places in your world where all you see is death? Where are the places in your life where things are dry and brittle? And then God asks Ezekiel a question. And I believe God is asking you this question over every place where there are dry bones in your life. He asked me, Son of man, 
Can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. What an interesting answer to that question. I don't think it's the answer I would have been tempted to give. Son of man, can these bones live? Well, no, they can't live. They're bones. Look at this wasteland. It's like, it's like a graveyard that never got finished. Look at this. I know the answer my despair would give. I know the answer my hopelessness would give. I know the answer my weakness would give. I know the answer my weariness would give. Of course these bones can't live. They're bones. But Ezekiel gives a different answer. One that is rooted in the power and reign of God. He says, Sovereign Lord. God who is in charge, sovereign Lord, you alone know. You got dry bones in your life today, and you want to know if they can live? God knows. And God gives the answer. Next verse, you keep looking. This is your word from God to you. Then God said to me, prophesy to these bones. Tell the truth to the bones. Say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover your skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord because I make dry bones live. And so Ezekiel does what he's told. He, he prophesied to the bones. He'd preached a lot of weird sermons. Trust me, at this point in his ministry, he'd almost only preached weird sermons. But I can't imagine he had preached a weirder sermon than prophesying to a valley of bones. But he preaches the sermon as he was commanded And as he was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and the tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So he said, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. And so I preached the sermon that was commanded of. I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath entered them. And they came to life and stood to their feet, a vast army. And then he said to me, These bones are the bones of the people of Israel, God's people. You know what they say, don't you? You've heard the rumor on the street. You know what my people say as they waste away in exile. You know what they say, don't you? They say our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. We are cut off. 
Those words sound familiar to me. Have you ever heard those words? Have you ever said those words? What hopeless situation did you bring with you today? What valley of dry bones do you walk through today? Where you have said the words, our bones are dried up. We have been cut off. Our hope is gone. God says, I know what they say. I I know what they say. I've heard the rumors. It's what everybody says. Everybody says our bones are dried up. Everybody says we've been cut off. Everyone says our hope is gone. God says, I know what they say. Why don't you tell them what I say? Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord where I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I'll settle you back in the land of promise. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. God says to Ezekiel, these bones are my people and I need you to prophesy to the bones. And what I wonder today is if you would right now, would you just meet God in the graveyard? Would you do that right now? Oh, I know, well, anybody will meet God up on the mountain. Meet God by the water. I wonder if you would just right now go meet God in the graveyard. Go with the Spirit of the Lord to the valley of the dry bones. Look at the wasteland that is in every one of our lives. And would you right now, would you give the bones a name? Look square at the graveyard, at the places of death and hopelessness and fear. At the places where people say they are dried up, they are cut off. Their hope is gone. And in that place, I want you to prophesy to the bones. Just as Ezekiel did, I want to speak, I want you to speak the words that God commands you to speak. That's all prophecy is. It's to tell the truth of God in a situation where few would have the strength to say it. Tell me the name of your dry and brittle bones. Are they called loneliness? Are they called fear? Are they a broken relationship? And you know what they say, it can never be healed, it can never be repaired, there is no life there. Those are dry and brittle bones. Is it war or death or the looming threat of nuclear weapons? 
Is it a fight that keeps erupting in your marriage and you look at this and you say, these are dry bones. There is no life here. They are cut off and my hope is gone. I want you to look at the bones and I want you to speak prophecy to these bones. Speak the very prophecy God gives you to speak. Tell me where the dry and brittle bones are in your life. Is it a persistent sin you cannot shake? A persistent fear that holds you back? Is it a stalled career or a broken heart or uncertainty about the future or compromised integrity? You told a lie so long ago it has become the truth that you dare not admit is a lie. And you say, these are dry bones. There is no life here. And you're afraid to walk into the graveyard because the grave has your name on it. And the Spirit of the Lord wants to meet you there and ask you the question, can these dry bones live? And if you think you know the answer, you're probably wrong. But God knows the answer. And God wants you to prophesy to the bones. Where are your dry bones? Where is hope gone? You know what they say, don't you? Oh, we know what they say. These are dry bones. They've been cut off. There's no hope here. But God says to you today that there's a word from the Lord that you can take with you. That's why I hope you open your Bibles or found it on your phone because I want you to have Ezekiel chapter 37 with you. And I want you to go to verse 4. And I want you to hear the command of God to you he says prophesy to the bones and you learn to say it over your dry bones you learn to say dry bones hear the word of the Lord valley of death hear the word of the Lord place where there is no hope hear the word of the Lord Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to the bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. And then I will breathe my spirit into you and you will be alive. And then you will know that I am the Lord. And I believe that this is a word that many of us need to claim today. Some of you need to put your hope in the Lord today. You need to hear the heavens ask you the question, can these dry bones live? And you need to say, God alone knows the answer. I need the hope of my Lord today. 
Because see, I'll tell you what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to live through the exile with my faith intact, with my purity grounded in God, and with my hope alive. That's what I'm trying to do. Anybody else trying to do that today? Anybody trying to stay hopeful in a valley of dry bones? I don't know any other way but then to prophesy the word of the Lord to the bones. And I love that Ezekiel just says, Ezekiel just prophesied like God told him to. You have the word of God. It's right there in front of you. It's not my words. It's yours. It's right there. Maybe it's open in your lap. Maybe it's on your phone. Just just speak that truth over the dry bones in your life. Just, Just speak that truth. Maybe we could hear this word from Ezekiel one last time and then we're going to sing our hope together this is what the sovereign Lord says my people I'm going to open up the graves in your life and I'm going to bring you out of them I'll bring you back to the land I promised you And then you and my people will know that I am your Lord. When I have opened up the graves and I brought you up from them, I'll put my spirit in you and you will live in the land I promised you. Then you'll know that I am the Lord and that I have done all those things that I have spoken. As we sing together today, if you need prayer today, I hope you'll let me pray for you. I'll be up over here. I'd love to pray for you. And as you sing this song, I just want you to prophesy to your bones. Speak the truth of God over the desperate and dark and dry places in your life. Won't you stand right now? Let's prophesy to the bones together.